You're listening to Retro Sermons, timeless lessons from the Bible spoken by voices of the past. Each speaker will have two 30-minute speeches. Brother Wallace will speak 30 minutes, and Brother Miller 30 minutes. Then Brother Wallace 30 minutes again, and then Brother Miller. At this time I shall read the proposition to be discussed tonight, then introduce to you Brother Wallace. It is in harmony with the scriptures for churches of Christ to build and maintain benevolent organizations for the care of the needy, such as Bowles Home, Tipton Home, Tennessee Orphan Home, Child Haven, and other orphan homes and homes for the aged that are among us. The affirmative is G.K. Wallace, negative James P. Miller. Let's all give them our undivided attention. Try as best we can to ascertain the truth of this proposition. Now Brother Wallace will speak to us for 30 minutes. Moderators, Brother Miller, brethren and friends who have come from afar, it's with mixed emotions that I stand here this night to discuss the proposition that has been raised. I'm glad that I can defend this congregation because this congregation stands where the congregations of this vicinity stood 15 or 20 years ago. I'm glad that I can represent a congregation that stands on the New Testament teaching, and yet my emotions are mixed and that I regret that division has been caused in the church. I believe that Brother Miller will admit that he has changed, that the congregations with which he is represented have moved away from the old past, that they have begun a new movement and a new organization and a new set of doctrine. And consequently, I stand here with mixed emotions. I don't think that he will deny some of these things that I have said. I shall not read the proposition because the proposition has been read. And I shall say it is in harmony with the scriptures, that is, such homes as described in my proposition are within the general command to do good and are thus a method or a means of executing the command. These homes are functional and operational and come within the purview of the command to care for the needy. By churches of Christ, I mean congregations or members of the church who are a part of the church. By build and maintain, I mean to take custody of children and maintain them, that is, to support these children. By a home, I mean a unit of society formed by custodial care of children. Since no child may be taken into custody without due process of law, any church-taking children would have to have someone appointed to an office that is not filled by the church but by the court. When the court in which the child custody adheres by common law appoints a group of elders or a group of men as custodians of the child or children, they become the legal unit of society <clears throat> known as the home of the child or children. The house they may acquire in which to shelter this unit of society or in which this home is maintained is not the home but where the home is sustained. A natural home with children is made up of parents and children. In the natural home, there is a relation of a parent, the natural custodian, and the child or children. In the orphan home, there is the relation between the children and their custodian, who also may be their guardian. And whether they be elders of one congregation or brethren from several congregations, 
is a matter purely of method or a matter of choice. The very fact that a child is a minor under full legal age is proof that someone has to be his guardian and our custodian. The minor has not acquired all civil rights. Elders are not given the civil rights of a child simply because its parents are members of the congregation which they serve. They are not civil officers. By benevolent charitable organizations, I mean such organizations that form the framework of a legal home. I mean the legal status that gives the congregation and brethren the right to provide the custodial care and look after the person and property of children or the aged. This unit of society is the only home the child has and is thus an object of pure religion. Think of my chart number one, please. <coughs> <coughs> The homes mentioned in my proposition are within the bounds of my definition of the proposition. By organization, I mean the administrative personnel or homes such as homes maintained by my proposition. Organizations are not wrong. My brethren believes, and Brother Miller believes, and I think he will affirm that an organization is not wrong because it's an organization or an institution wrong because it's an institution. It depends upon its nature. Its nature is determined by its charter and the way it serves. One of the first things that I want to show you is that the organizations that we speak of as children's homes and homes for the aged are not comparable to the organizations generally spoken of by the functional operation of the Christian churches. First, you will notice that local Christian churches joined the International Convention. That was originally called their Missionary Society, founded in 1849. Churches joined this institution. They are seated there in the institution. It becomes a legislative, executive, and judicial body for the churches. Whether a church goes in voluntary or not does not change the nature of it. Because if a person goes in the army, whether he's a volunteer or drafted, he's in. When a church is seated in the convention, he is required or has a moral obligation to function in it. Not all Christian churches belong to it. Out of the International Convention, you have their Committee on Recommendations, you have a Board of Directors, and then the Cooperative Relations. For instance, here, Cooperative Organizations. They have a Board of Education. When you read statements of my brethren opposing organizations, and you read the statements of these pioneer preachers and others as they fought organizations. You remember this, that while they fought this board of higher education, which was a function of the International Convention, they built colleges. They built Florida Christian College. And I think I have a right to say Florida Christian College because I have here a charter of Florida Christian College in Lakeland, which was established this year. A new college founded in Lakeland and of all things called Florida Christian College. The charter was asked for on January, five on the first day of February, 1965, and was granted the 14th day of June in 1965. Now, whether I refer to Florida College or Florida Christian College, it doesn't make any difference. The incorporators of this new college, S.O. Ward, Lee Boswell, James R. Cope, and 
W.C. Hammond tree. Now here's the point. While my brethren opposed these organizations, they built colleges. They built colleges like David Lipscomb College, Free Hardeman College. It took the Samarites to come along and say that if you built a college, then you endorse these organizations. They have a board of publications. While my brethren opposed the board of publications, which was the function of the International Convention, they built papers like the Gospel Advocate, the Firm Foundation, and papers like the Scripture Studies published by Brother Phillips and by Brother Miller. And all the statements that you read of opposing organizations was not opposing the building of colleges or orphan homes. They have a benevolent association, which was about, which was founded in 1887, and this has operated 17 homes, seven children's homes. But you will observe, and I took this from their 1960-58 year book, each and every home, a local home, has a local board because there's no other way to operate a home except with a legal entity. But they have these children under this benevolent association, which is under the general board, which is under the International Convention. While my brethren were opposing such organizations, they built Potter Orphan Home. They built Spring Hill. They built Mount Dora. So you can see that every reference, every quotation that these brethren take is taken out of its context. They were fighting what I fight. They were opposing what I oppose. And I allow no man to be more firm in standing in the old paths than do I. Every chart they draw, every circle they make, every argument they make for an organization misrepresents the Christian church organizations and set up. They had a missionary society started July the 22nd, 1920. This was originally called their missionary society and it was joined by churches. These are the organizations, organizational setup that brethren opposed. While they opposed it, they built colleges, they built orphan homes, and they published papers. Hang up my chart number two, please. <clears throat> now, I want to show you further <clears throat> in this connection that one of the great errors that is often made by my brethren is by taking the wrong understanding of what it means for a Bible example. The old pioneers preached that we taught by command by example and by necessary inference, and so do we. I believe in teaching by example, by command, and by inference. But examples illustrate. The pioneers never taught that an example authorized. It illustrates. That's the meaning of it. It's an illustration. They didn't go out and say that an example set a precedent. They said, you have a command. You have an example of the command. And by a necessary inference, you arrive at whether or not such a command is involved. In the Bible, there are two kinds of examples. There are examples that illustrate Christian liberty. There are examples that illustrate divine law. For an example to be binding, it must illustrate a requirement. What is the requirement? You look for the requirement. If the example illustrates the requirement, then you know it's a binding example. Let me show you where the next big problem that we have and have had in regard to this is not only a misunderstanding and a misrepresentation of the Christian church set up, but is by the misuse of Bible examples. For instance, here is an example in the second chapter of the book of Acts, where 
these disciples sold their possessions. All that believed were together and had all things common. They sold their possessions and goods and departed them to all according as any man had need. I don't know of any of my brethren who say that that's the binding example that you have to sell everything that you have. They did. Here's an example of it. They did it. There isn't any question about it. It's an example of Christian liberty you made, but you're not required to. There is no law that requires you to sell everything that you have. Coming to chapter 4, and you find it's uniformity, because he said, And the multitude of them that believe were of one heart and one soul, and not one of them. There's the uniformity. Not one of them said that the thought of the things which he possessed was his own, but they had all things in common. It's an apostolic proved example. For neither were there among the any that lacked, for as many as were possessors of land or houses sold them, and brought the price of the things that were sold, and laid it at the apostles' feet. Here it is, laid at the apostles' feet. I have not heard any of my brethren going out and telling people that in order to be true and to follow the Bible example <clears throat> that they have to sell everything they have. That's a Christian liberty. It illustrates a liberty, but not a divine requirement. There is no requirement that requires a man to sell everything that he has. In Acts 6 and 1, you have an illustration here of them taking care of the Grecian widows. Somebody says, Brother Wallace, here's the how they did it. Notice what they did. Because their widows were neglected in the daily ministration, the daily ministration, every day, and the twelve called the multitude the disciples unto them and said, It's not fit that we should forsake the word of the Lord and serve tables. I don't know any of my brethren of the opposition that set up a table in the church. I don't think they'd have one in the church because the brethren wouldn't let them eat. But they had a table, and they did it every day. I don't know if any of these brethren say, in order to take care of the widows, that you have to put up a table in the meeting house and have seven men I have a record of where it's done for the women and not for the men, and if necessary, I'll produce it, where women are looking after not seven men, but a group of women that are taking care of the work. Now, I'm perfectly all right to set up a table. That's, a, that's an example of Christian liberty. There is no law that requires that a table be set up. This is an example of a Christian liberty. In Acts 18 and 3, I find that Paul made tents to make a living. It isn't wrong for you to support yourself while you preach, but there's no law that requires it. That's a Christian liberty. In Acts 20 and 34, why Paul said in regard to that Ye yourselves know these hands ministered to my necessity and to them that were with me in all things I gave you an example. Here's an example of the preacher working with his hands. That's a Christian liberty for an example to be finding it must illustrate a requirement. And in Acts 11, 27 and 30, here is an instance of the problem of taking care of those who were in need. And the record says they sent it to the elders of the church. There is no law that it says it has to be sent to the elders of the church. That's a liberty. You may help a congregation where there are no elders. I have a record of where a congregation here has assisted members of another congregation, and this congregation has no elders. It was not sent to the elders, but to the family. 
that is an example of a Christian liberty. What we are discussing in this debate is the matter of function and operation. Now, here is an example of sending money directly. The word directly is not here. In Philippians 4 and 14, where the church at Philippi sent some money to help Paul, and somebody said, well, they sent it directly to the preacher. The word directly is not there. But if you feel better about it, leave it there. I departed from Macedonia. No church had fellowship with me in the matter of giving and receiving, but ye only for even in Thessalonica you sent once again into my need. That's an example of Christian liberty. Where is the law? That requires that you send it directly to the preacher. You say, well, they did it. I know they did. In Acts 20, when they had the Lord's Supper, they met in the upper story, in the third story. If you want to have the Lord's Supper in the third story, that's all right. But there is no requirement for it. Thus, you see, for an example to be finding, it must illustrate a requirement. But somebody says, Preacher, if that is true, and it is, that eliminates the Lord's Supper. Now watch an example of law. Acts 8.38, the eunuch said, Dear quarter, what hindereth me to be baptized? And you see him baptizing, being baptized. There's a finding example because there's the commandment to baptize in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. But you say if that's true, we can't have the Lord's Supper. Acts 20 and 7, you say the only way that we know that we can have the Lord's Supper is by an example. I never heard of such doctrine until the last few years. You don't want to read such debates as Charlie Nichols had with the Baptist preacher up in Kentucky to show him that there was a divine requirement to meet on the first day of the week to break bread. If there is no divine requirement to meet on the first day of the week to break bread, then he who does not come does not obey anything. And he who comes does not uh, obey anything. But now look, Hebrews 10 and 25, an assembly is required. In 1 Corinthians 16, <coughs> 1 and 2, the first day is required. As I gave order, this is a command. As I gave order, this is not an example, this is a direction. As I gave order, of the churches of Galatia, so do ye. Paul, in the first Corinthian letter, one and two, commanded, ordered, and demanded that the people meet and assemble on the first day of the week. And he said, this is exactly what I taught to the people of Galatia. As I gave order to the churches of Galatia, he taught them to assemble on the first day of the week. He thought it was wrong to forsake the assembly. An assembly is required on the first day of the week. In our modern age, we are familiar with the countdown. Let's take the countdown. 1 Corinthians 16 is a part of a movement. It's a part of a discussion, a part of a book. Here is an order to meet on the first day of the week. You come down to chapter 15, to chapter 14, to chapter 13, to chapter 12, in chapter 11, five times God puts the Lord's Supper in this assembly. Five times He places the Lord's Supper in the assembly, and thus this is a binding example. Why? Because people are ordered to meet on the first day of the week. There is a divine requirement to meet upon the first day of the week. And when we come to Acts 20 and 7, we can readily see that this was clearly understood in Acts 20 and 7. 
You see from the purpose clause why that they had come, which indicates that they knew and understood. Upon the first day of the week, when we were gathered together to break bread, Paul discoursed with him in taking the cart on the morrow. Their purpose to meet on the first day of the week was to break bread. They were commanded to assemble on the first day of the week. In this assembly, God placed the Lord's Supper. Therefore, there is a divine requirement for Christian people to meet upon the first day of the week to break bread. These brethren five, brethren, some of the finest gospel preachers that ever graced the pulpit have confused themselves and the brethren because they do not understand the functional operational organizations of the Christian church. They don't understand the nature of an example. They take examples of Christian liberty and you watch every chart he makes will be a chart illustrating the uh, example of a Christian liberty. And the whole argument will be based upon that. For an example to be finding, it must illustrate a divine requirement. How much have I got there? Hang up my next number. <coughs> number three. Here are commands. There are certain kinds of commands, generic and specific. A generic command carries with it that which is, uh, is general and does not specify how it's to be done. For instance, go, you may write, fly, or walk, or teach, you may write, or speak. There is the art to build the art. You may build it of pine or cedar or copal wood. Here is the matter of music. God drew the line on music, and that excluded instrumental in regard to the matter of the care of orphans. God has said to visit the fatherless and the widows and their afflictions and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. In Galatians 6 and 10, he said, Do good unto all men, especially to them that are the household of faith. Now, I have drawn the line here. I would like for Brother Miller to draw the line here. Whether or not he believes that visit is to the individual, whether or not he believes the command includes the church, whether or not he believes the command includes the home, whether or not he believes that it's exclusive to the individual. I believe that vocal music is specified. I draw the line. I ask him to draw the line. The people of God may take provisions of the child. Here's the preacher's house, which is the property. In order to have this property, there must be directors or trustees. You cannot have a piece of property without it. These trustees take the custody or take the property. They're not over the preacher except in his spiritual life, but they're over the property. Here's a meeting house in which they take the custody of the property. Now let them take the person. Let them get the person as well as the property. And when churches or when brethren take a person, as well as the property, they have to have a decree from the court or else they're kidnappers. You cannot go out and just grab up children off of the street. And when they are taken and provided for by the people of God, then they have to have some organization separate and apart from the church just as they have for their meeting house or for their preacher's house. And if they took this preacher's house and took orphans and put it in it, they'd have no more than such homes of my proposition. Hang up my next chart, will you please? I want to get it before us too. Got four minutes, thank you. I want us to recognize that there are some things that are commanded, and there are things that are expedient. For instance, God commanded us to teach. Where is my authority for a chart? How would I prove it's scriptural to have a chart? I say, well, it comes within, it's an expedient under the command. Or here's the collection basket, our prayer, the Lord's Supper, our scene. Now, God has commanded 
the people of God to make provisions for the, the indigent. For the fatherless and the widows. Here is the command. I have shown you that you cannot take the custody of children without a legal home. You cannot take care of children without either a natural or a legal home. There must be one or the other. It's expedient which one you use. A church may help a child in a natural home. A church may help a child in a legal home. Now, let me read this sentence to you. There are two ways that we may know that a thing is approved by God Almighty. We may have it commanded, or we may find it in expedient under the command. By an expedient, I simply mean that if God tells me to do a thing, I have a right to expedite what God if God tells me to do a thing, and he does, and I'm asking Brother Miller in the very beginning that where he thinks this, if he thinks it's exclusive, if he thinks it's exclusive to an individual, does it apply to families? Does it apply to congregations? And... You cannot take care of children without some kind of legal provision. There are two ways that we may know that a thing is approved of God Almighty. We may have it commanded or we may find it as an expedient under the command. By an expedient I simply mean that God has said to do a thing. I have a right to expedite what God has said. In this preliminary discussion, I have one minute, they tell me, I've tried to show you the right place of institutions and organizations. The right use of commands, of examples, and of expedience. And the whole my proposition are homes that come within the purview of this command. I thank you. You want to do anything good? Worthy opponent, gentlemen moderators, ladies and gentlemen, I want to say to you in the very beginning that I come too with mixed emotions because Brother Wallace just a decade ago stood where I do on nearly all of these issues before the church and on the tape out here in 1953 when he answered D.L.S. Walker and others on these very things he was almost 100% right when he said that no man could subsidize everything under the face of this earth and have the church of our Lord pay the bill. Now I'm going to give him credit for one great advantage tonight. You know he's away from home and I'm sure that some of the brethren have fed him a fine dinner. It might have been a steak dinner, it might have been a chicken dinner but I'm at home and there wasn't anybody to feed me and I'm debating on a cheese sandwich. But I'm going to show you tonight that there's more pine than a cheese sandwich when a man has the truth than there is in all the meals in this world when he doesn't have it. Now you know I'm going to say very kindly in the very beginning of this that if I hadn't known what the proposition was, I wouldn't have known what Brother Wallace was debating. And I believe that I can truthfully say for every man and woman here that you wouldn't have had the slightest idea what he was talking about. He didn't preach like this 15 years ago. He didn't have to go all around the country to find Bible authority. He didn't have to go here and there and jump here and there and run here and there, try to do away with things that we've stood for for decades to prove what the Bible says. Let me show you what the proposition is. It just might be worthwhile tonight just to show you what we're to be. I believe that'll help clarify the issue, and I believe that that might be of great benefit to everybody. Here's what we're debating tonight that it's in harmony with the Scripture. Now just let me say a word about this little in harmony with the Scripture. Why in the world just you don't say the Scriptures teach? Just think about having to affirm it's in harmony with the Scripture. 
You think about a gospel preacher that say it's in harmony. Do you mean that it's playing a tune off here somewhere by the side and you just can't find it right in the Word of God? Why don't you just say the Scripture teaches? That's what we've been debating all of these years. That's how you debated and I debated for over 30 years. Then come along and say it's in harmony. The reason why it says in harmony, there's not a word in God's book about building a human institution to do the work of the church. He knows it and I know it. You know it. And we'll all know it when this debate's over. And that's why he has to say it's in harmony with it. He just can't come out and say the Bible teaches it. Now here's what he's going to have to prove. And I want every man and every woman and all of you that are watching on television. You know, I knew I'd never make it on the Herald of Truth, but I've made it right here. <laughs> I it here. Let me show you what he's going to have to prove. I want you to notice this now, old friend, look good and close. Here's what you're going to have to prove. For the affirmative to be true, my opponent must find three things in the New Testament. I'm talking now about the New Testament, Brother Wallace. Going to have to find three things first where churches of Christ ever built a human institution. That's what we're debating, isn't it? That's what the scriptures teach. It's in harmony with the scriptures for churches of Christ to build and maintain benevolent societies. You're going to have to find where they ever built a human institution. Now, I've got the place. Give me the marker, Brother Patton. I want to put the marker up here so we can't say, well, now, I couldn't write anything in it. Because it didn't have anything to write with. Here's the marker. Where did they ever build a human institution? Where did churches of Christ ever maintain, contribute to a human institution to do the work of the church in benevolence? And where did churches of Christ ever send anyone to a human institution? This is the issue. There's no use to talk about anything else. It's a question of whether the scriptures teach or it's in harmony with the scripture for churches of Christ to build and maintain human institutions. That's what we're talking about. That's what we're going to be talking about when this proposition's over. He just well learned that we're going to debate the proposition in this debate. Here's the human institution. That's the thing we're talking about. That's the orphan. If you want to know where the orphan is, I found it. In getting ready to debate you, I found it. Here's the orphan. It's this human institution right here. It has no father in the Bible. It has no mother in the Bible. It has no uncles, aunts, grandparents, nieces, or even a 42nd cousin. There's not a line in God's Word that has a thing in the world in it about a human institution. And that's what he has to affirm. That's what he has to prove. That it's in the Word of God. That the Bible teaches that it's in harmony with the Scripture for churches of Christ to build and maintain human institutions. But now let's just think a minute. He goes on then to say, now this is just a debate of means and method. In other words, it's just a matter of how we're going to do it. Oh, no, that's not right. Let me show you what I mean by that. It's not a matter just of how we're going to do it. It's a matter of whether or not these human institutions have a right to do the work of the church of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Now you look at here. Over here on this side we have what we call an arrangement or a function. You call it anything you will. An arrangement, a function, a means, or a method. It doesn't make any difference what you call it. It's exactly the same thing. You have an example of it in Acts 6, 1 through 6. The congregation was consulted. They selected men and put them over those that widows that were neglected. The apostles appointed them. This was local business. This is a function, a means, an arrangement of a local congregation. But, oh, here's what you're defending over here, my opponent. Here it is over here. You're defending a human institution. You're not defending a local arrangement. You're not defending a function. You're not defending a local church doing its own work. It's not what you're defending. You're defending a human institution that has its own name, its own organization, its own treasure, its own charter, its own office, it hires its own agents, makes its own money, offers brotherhood service, and makes its own arrangement, or sees to its own function, or sees to its own means and method. Why, if we were just debating over whether or not it was the function of the church, there wouldn't be any debate. We were debating over the local church, seeing to its local business, there wouldn't be anything to debate. We're debating here tonight over whether or not a man has a right to build a human institution alone to the Word of God without a bit of authority in this world. 
give it his own name, have his own organization, select his own treasury, write his own charter, have his own offices, hire his own agents, fix his own money, offer his brotherhood service, and make his own arrangements. That's what this debate's about. It's not about what the local church can do. It's about what this human institution and its relationship to the local church. That's what we're debating. That's the thing that's an orphan. If you want an orphan, I've found it right here. It hasn't got a single kinfolk, not one, in the Word of God. And let me show you why, Brother Wallace. I'll be glad to show you why. Because it is never in the mind of God to start with. For you brethren to have these human institutions. In First Corinthians, the second chapter, you'll remember that in verse 7, Paul said, These things were ordained before the world began unto our glory. You'll remember that in verse 10, he said, But God hath revealed them unto us by his Spirit. For the Spirit searcheth all things, yea, even the deep things of God. Then you remember he said, For what man knoweth the things of a man, see the Spirit of man that's in him. He said, Even so the things of God knoweth no man but the Spirit of God. I'll tell you why it's not in the Bible, because it was never in God's mind, first of all. And the Holy Spirit revealed the mind of God. And the Holy Spirit didn't reveal it. And the apostles spoke it, and they didn't speak it. Therefore, I know God never intended for us to have it. Oh, you've debated the instrumental music question just like I have. I remember just as well as an old book asked me in Orlando, 1954, how do you know that God cares if I have a piano? How do you know God cares if I have an instrument? And I went just as you've done time and time again to passages like this. The first Corinthians 2, where the Spirit sought out all things, yea, even the deep things of God. And God's Spirit didn't reveal it. If God's Spirit didn't reveal it, then God didn't intend for me to have it. And that's why we're silent where the Bible silent. Oh, I wish I could make you, brethren, see that you've given us the restoration, please. That is the one thing that made us peculiar as a peculiar people that not only did we speak where the Bible spoke, but we believed that revelation was complete and that the mind of God had been revealed. And that when the Bible was silent, we ought to be silent, but oh no, you've abandoned it. And now you're seeing a cut adrift on the very shores of all that is digressive. All right, not only is that true, but in John 16 and 13, You'll remember how be it when he, the spirit of truth, is come. He will guide you in all truth. That's why it's not in the Bible. Because God's spirit didn't guide him into it. And it wasn't in the mind of God for him to do it. In John 14 and 26, But the Comforter, which is the Holy Spirit, who the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things. And he didn't teach it. And that's why I know God never intended for us to have this thing over here. But he intended for the local church. Just function over here. All right, now, boys, get this. Get on these charts. Well, I don't want to answer them. I want to answer them just like you did. Give me number one real quick. Jump right up. Get right to it. That's fine. Just lay those down. Then let's roll them up. They're going to be afraid when we get through with them. All right, now, look here. He said, oh, here's what we were talking about all the time. We were talking about this thing in the Christian. Well, what I'm talking about. I never was a member of the Christian church. I don't care anything about this. Well, I'll tell you what's wrong with every bit of this. Just the thing that's wrong over here. Just exactly the same thing. It doesn't have any Bible to support it. It's not in the Word of God. Why, it's no use to run over here. I think the convention was wrong. I think it's a video on recreation wrong. How do you feel about that? <laughs> what about drinking in the meeting? What about fun and frolic in the meeting? What about that? How do you stand on that? Born and direct. Oh, I'm against that too. That doesn't have any word far in the Word of God any more than your human institution has in the Word of God. This is a human arrangement just exactly like yours, and the thing to have in common is that we don't have any scripture. Or any of them. They're going to tell you that we were building colleges. What about the college question tonight? You introduced it. I didn't mean to say a word in the world about it. Oh, you've got it in the fix now. Franklin, thank you, Chris. You're not going to be here alone. These brethren believe, and you believe, in church support of Bible colleges. The brethren in Florida do not believe Oh, yeah, well, you holler, son. You be careful. You want to get up and testify? <laughs> you do. Now you just get up and testify. I know the elders of this congregation. I've known them for many years. I've talked to nearly all of them. 
I know what they've told me in the past. That's the defense that these Florida brethren have had against our charges against them. Well, they said, well, we're not crazy. We don't believe in sporting and college. I think maybe it's hard to get an endorsement down in Lakeland sometimes. When you believe in the sport of Bible God. So now you've got them in a fix. You've got brethren up here that believe in the support of Bible colleges out of the trade of the church when your own brethren don't believe in it. And that'll be the end of you, old friend. You just get ready to leave us now. Because they can't bring an endorsement from these Florida brethren that say that they believe in the sport of Bible college. These brethren are better talk than that. They're not going to take the Lord's money and buy basketballs and basketball uniforms and footballs and football uniforms. They know better than that. The Lord died to make a Christian, but he didn't die to make a wildcat. He didn't die to make a falcon. Oh, let me tell you something. You talk about the college. You're already into it now. I'll tell you what they have in common with every bit of this, Brother Wallace. There's not one line in God's word that authorizes. That's exactly the same thing that you've got wrong over here in your human institution. It don't make any difference whether they had the same beginning or who the over or who the under or who's over who or who's under who. You sort of got that in a mess anyhow, haven't you? I used to know, but I sure would foster him. You went just as well as you did, I guess. You know, he started a little orphan home, and then they put that under bone home. So if you just wait a little, we'll have it over and under and under and over. We're coming toward this. You just give us time. We just haven't got there yet. That's what we can give you chart number two for. Yep. <laughs> All right, now he said, now look at here. He said, oh, Brother Miller's got to understand the difference in liberty and law. Oh, let me tell you something. Oh, listen to me, old buddy. If you want to cry, let cry right here. You say these examples don't mean a thing. That's what you say. That's what he said. You analyze it any way you want to. That's what he said. He said these examples that we've preached all of these years, how the early church took care of its needy, how they saw to their saints, how they saw to their affairs. He said, boys, that doesn't mean a thing. He said, that's just a matter of liberty. You can do it if you want to. So from now on, you remember now, you institutional young man, you've just got two ways to prove a thing true, either by command or by necessary You've lost your example, Brother Wallace took it away from you right here. Oh, uh, let me tell you something. You need to learn where the liberty is. Let me show you where the liberty is. You've got the liberty on the wrong side of the money. In Acts 5, when Ananias and Sapphira sold the possession, and when they brought the price and gave it to the apostles, they lied about how much they gave. And Peter told him where the liberty was. He said, while it remained, was it not thine own? And after it was sold, was it not in your own power? The liberty in these matters is before you give it to the Lord. And after you give it to the Lord, there's no liberty there. See, you just missed the thing, top, side, and bottom. Why, you take, for instance, the grape juice that's on the Lord's table. I suppose a man could be at liberty to use that any way he wanted to. I suppose he could dye his hair with it if he had enough and wanted to. He could even use it in any proper way. But, oh, let me tell you something. When you put that on the Lord's table, it's not a matter of liberty anymore. It's a matter of law. Baby. You can't use it any way you want. When you run your hand in your pocket and you get out a dollar, and when you spend that dollar as you want to, that's your business. That's where your liberty is. But when you give that dollar to the Lord, it takes the thine Lord again. Oh, but if you want to talk about liberty, you've got your liberty in the wrong place. And when you talk about things of that kind, you just remember that the very first sin in the Jerusalem church and the first two murders in the Jerusalem church were over the matter of mishandling the Lord's money. And if any of you brethren want to sort of turn up your nose what we're talking about tonight, you just read the fifth chapter of Acts and remember that the very first terrible sins in the Jerusalem church were over this very matter of how they handle the Lord's money. All right, now let me hurry on here. He said, oh, no, he said, now this is just examples that don't mean anything. He said, now that's the way that it is. That's the history of the church on benevolence. That's the history of the church on how Paul worked with his own hands. Let me tell you what you need here where Paul worked with his own hands. You need an example where he built a human institution with his own hands. That's the thing you need, and then you'll have something germane to the case. Then he comes along, he said, why, let me tell you, you could know, you could know that they took the Lord's Supper on the Lord's Day without having Acts 20. 
Well, now, why in the world would a gospel preacher ever labor at great length to take away Acts 20 and 7 from the people of God? Why, you talk about your examples here. You talk about Hebrews 10, 25, 1 Corinthians 11, and verses 25 and so on. 1 Corinthians 16, 1 and 2. These passages, your Corinthian history here. Don't you understand, Brother Wallace, you could read these till doomsday and you'd never find where the disciples met on the first day of the week. In one of them, you get the assembly. In another, you get where they gave their meetings on the first day. In others, you can find where they were to come together and eat the Lord's Supper. But to find when they ate the Lord's Supper, the only way in the world you can find it in Acts 27, and there's not a requirement on the face of the earth that says eat it on the first day of the week. He just missed the boat there. But the Lord said eat it, but he didn't say when. Isn't that right? The Lord said eat it, but he didn't tell us when. The only way in all this world that anybody knows when they ate the Lord's Supper is to have Acts 27. They'll tell you they ate it on the first day of the week. He has to assume something in every one of these. In this, he has the assembly, but he doesn't have the Lord's Supper. In this, he has the collection, but he doesn't have the Lord's Supper. And so, the only place you can get the first day in the Lord's Supper together is right here in Acts 27. And let me tell you something, young men, and you listen to me, brethren, here in Apple. The reason why he's done every bit of this is to get away from this history here, how the early church saw to its needed. Here's the thing he needs to learn, that in these examples, the church was doing its own work. You ought to get away from there, but a bit of that, he's going to run around and say, well, now, after all, I can show you Acts 27 was not important. God bless your heart, may God grant that my brethren will never be so entangled with idols of human institutionalism that they try to turn that tear down a passage like Acts 27 that we've depended on throughout all our generations. When you think about that, man, it's terrific in its nature. All right, now quickly, he says, let me give me chart three, boys, while I'm talking. He said, all right, now, he said, you just can't do this. He said, you can't go around church up an orphan off the street. Well, you know, that's news to me. That's the way I thought they did it. They don't have any orphans when they start these orphans homes. They build them, and then they get a station wagon, and they run around all over the country trying to find them. I thought that's the way you got them. I didn't know. I'm glad to get that information. Oh, do you mean that it could be scriptural for God's people? It's not legal. Is that what your argument means? That if we had to do it by law, that it had to be legal and it'd just be scriptural because it's legal? Is that right? Can anything be scriptural for the people of God, uh, legal for the people of God, and not be scriptural at the same time? Can anything be legal for God's people and not first be scriptural? Why, the Bible said in Matthew 19 and 9, that if a man puts away his wife for any cause, save for fornication and marry another, in the state of Florida, you can put her away for male cruelty. I guess for this debate's over, we could get a divorce ourselves on that. But would that make it scriptural for God's people just because it's legal? Now let me go one step further with you. When you made that argument, did you mean by this that the law says before we can see to a needy saint or one that comes under the realm of church benevolence that we have to build a human institution? Is that what you mean? If that's not what you mean, you didn't have an argument at all. And you just made it to muddy the water. That's all. You know, and I know, and he knows, and everybody here knows that that's not true. The idea that you come along and prove it by law. Well, I knew he'd never prove it by the Bible, but I declare, if you're going to prove it by law, i got a brother that's a lawyer. He's a judge. And a judge of law, you're debating the wrong miller. If you want to debate the law, why don't you debate what the Scripture teaches? Why don't you just find it in the Word of God? All right, he says, there's generic commands and specific. That's right. We've always said that. Go! Alright, said so that's right, walker or black. Well, that's fine. What about the missionary society, Brother Wallace? Here is your parallel. Lord said, go and teach. What about the missionary society? Is it so generic that it would include the missionary society? If it's not so generic that it includes the missionary society, how are you going to get visit so generic that it will include a human institution? Why don't you see that? You've got the answer to it yourself. If you can't get generic up here, so inclusive 
They deal in putting the missionary society. Then you can't get this. It's down here so inclusive that it'll include a benevolent society. Then not only that, but he talks about the preacher's house. Now, the brethren don't furnish me a house. I think they furnish Patton one. You better jump on him. But I'll tell you how we furnish the preacher house. We furnish it because Paul said in the uh, Second Corinthians 11 and 8, that you robbed other churches taking wages of it. We have a meeting house because we're commanded to meet. But the orphan home, the human institution, does not inherit by inference in any of these. Now let me show you, ladies and gentlemen, one thing that I want you clearly to see. My opponent and those brethren that stand with him tonight have an entirely false conception of what good works are in the very beginning. They do not understand the nature of good works, and they violate the very requirements of God Almighty when they come to the question of good works. You'll remember that in Ephesians, the second chapter, in verses 8 and 9, and of course these are famous verses, and they've been used all these years by brethren, Paul said, you remember, that we're saved by grace through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Now, what kind of works is he talking about when he said, not of works, lest any man should boast? Well, he's talking about the very kind that Brother Wallace preached about all these years, and that I preached about, and everybody else who has stood with us has preached about all these years. He's talking about works of human invention. He's talking about works that are not authorized in the Word of God. These are boastful works. These are the works of men's invention. These are the works of men's minds. And of course everyone knows that's true. There's no question about that. Now you look here. Here are the works that he's talking about in condemning in Ephesians 2. And when you talk about good works, the very works you do are the works without law. They're the works without authority. Here's your herald of truth that preaches the gospel, the herald of hope in Twitter, Texas, that sees to the need of the gospel press, that does the printing, the colleges that take the money from the churches, the orphans' homes, the hospitals, the sponsoring church eldership, the summer camps supported by the church. Every one of these comes under the heading of works without divine authority. In other words, their connection with the church puts them in a position where they are without one bit of authority in the word of God. Now, you want to know what verse 10 teaches? Come on. We've got Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. Now, listen to verse 10. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. Why, the very nature of the good works that we are to do were foreordained by God. And we have to walk in those works. It's not left up to me to decide how I'll do a good work. It's not left up to me to decide what a good work is. These good works, 504 times in their various connotations in the Word of God, have specified the nature of a work itself. Now let me ask you something. In 1 Thessalonians 1, verse 3, Paul said, Remember without ceasing your work of faith. I want to know if any work can be a good work that's not a work of faith. Can any work be a good work that's not a work of faith? Now be careful on it. Can any work be a good work that's not a work of faith? Well, if it has to be a work of faith, faith comes by hearing and hearing by what? By the word of God. And when you build these institutions one after the other, you're working works of man's device. And you're not working the work of God. What's the difference in building a tower and building an institution in prison? How do you stand now on the preaching for the last 25 years? While you talk about good works without divine authority, there is no such thing. You listen to Paul in Romans 3. You remember that Paul in Romans 10 said, Bear them my heart's desire and pray to God for Israel. He is that they may be saved. For I bear them record that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness. Here it is right here. They've not submitted themselves to the righteousness of God. You've missed the very character of good works then. Thank the very nature of good works. Why, you remember in Matthew 7, verses 21, 22, and 23, Jesus said, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, 
But he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven, amen, he shall come to me in that day and say, Lord, Lord, have I not prophesied in thy name? And in thy name have I not cast out devils? And in thy name have I not done many wonderful works? Here it is now, but listen to what Jesus is going to tell them. And then will I profess unto them that I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. And the word iniquity here means without law. Without law, you work without divine authority. You work without law. That's what it means. Therefore, when you talk about good works, is there any good work in the sight of God unless it's a work of faith? Now you tell him, if it's a work of faith, then you put your finger on the verse. While you talk about this business of whether examples are binding or not, do you know that you have to run contrary to some of the plainest scriptures in all the word of God to prove that? You take 1 Peter 2.21. But even whereunto ye were called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that we should follow in his steps. Peter said, just follow the example. Oh, let me tell you something. These examples illustrate the above. These examples are divine examples Holy Spirit gathered to show us how they did. When a fellow come along and said, oh, you've got to have a backup coming. What you need to do is just back up and get in the book and find this proposition. What we're debating is whether or not it's within the realm of Scripture. The churches of Christ to build and maintain humanity. Give me the last one. I don't want to get behind. Well, you talk about building all these annexes on the church. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 3 and 10, According to the grace of God given me as the wise master builder, I have laid the foundation of another building of their own. Let every man take heed how he build of their own. And you know that was the apostles building and laying the foundation of the apostles' prophet. And I can't even man a colored man to the church. I can get him ready, but the Lord asked him. Acts 2, 47. Well, if I can't add an individual, how are you going to build all these things in that day? How are you going to get them in the blueprint? Oh, you happy me to get him, boys. Ask him something quick. All right, now look here. He said, all right, look here. He have the command, the acts, and the expedient. Why do you mean to tell me that it's expedient to go outside the realm of God Almighty's word? He's built an institution that the Bible doesn't know anything about. What would you tell a man over here on instrumental music? You'd tell him what's in the realm of expediency, wouldn't you? You'd tell him just the thing. Right, when you see a man that's supposed to say it, why don't you just tell him to go on and say it? Just like the Bible. Now you want to know whether I thought that applied to the individual, to a home, or to the church. I believe that's right. Well, let me show you what the Bible teaches about. I'll be glad to do that. I came prepared for that too. But James 1.27 is not hard to understand when you just look at it and when we understand it correctly. Why, he's talking in James 1.27 about a man's religion. That's the subject of the first chapter of the book of James. He said a man's religion. Now, a man can have two kinds of religion in James 1. He can have vain religion, deceive himself. If a man among you seem to be religious and by the God's tongue, this man's religion is vain. And he can have vain religion or he can have pure religion. Under pure religion, he visits the fatherless and widows in their affliction. And he keeps himself unspotted from the world. Who would you say it to, Brother Waters? Himself unspotted. Do you think that means the church when it says, Himself unspotted, let me show you something. If you can pay somebody to do this for you, to visit the fatherless and the widow, if you can delegate this out, that's a part of the verse, what about delegating this out? What about hiring somebody to keep themselves unspotted from the world? In Brother Gail Older's bold home news the other day, he reproduced the article that was in the firm foundation several months ago, where from a sampling of 100 churches of over 200 members each that believed in these human institutions, they were contenting an average of seven cents a week apiece. God bless your heart, they're not doing much of either one. They're not keeping themselves unspotted in the world because they violated Second John 9 and have transgressed God's law and gone beyond it. And then they're not doing much fist in the fathers and the widows because they just got an average of seven cents apiece. But if he wants to know who he's talking about, he's talking about a man's religion. Now, if you don't believe that, you just look at verse 24. Fellow beholds himself in the glass. 
Is that the church looking in the glass in 24? It's the same himself in 24 that it's the same himself in 27. And he's talking about an individual in both cases. Oh, you talk about acts, commands, and expedience. Look here now. Under teeth. What about a missionary society? That's what we're talking about. We're talking about something not in the Word of God. When you get down here to visit, that's when you put in your human institution. Why don't you put it in back here? Why don't under pray you start a national prayer bank? And let the whole brotherhood contribute to it. But when you get ready, you slip your human institution again and say this is an expedient. Well, why isn't the missionary society an expedient on the teach? Why, because none of them are found in the Word of God, that's why. And you know as well as I do that if it's expedient to have a human institution, God missed it in 4,000 years that he prepared the Word of God, and the brethren missed it for 1,850 years when they didn't start it. Now, I thank you for your kind attention. I want you to listen to Brother Wallace when his time comes.